Yo, 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 what up? It's your boy, Kobe Mack, and this is the Kobe Told Me Podcast. Your deep dive with the Mac himself, where I get to amplify my movie reviews for your listening pleasure. Today, I'm going down the rabbit hole, and I'm talking all things Jordan Peele's new movie, Us. I know you've seen it, and if you didn't, you've got 70 plus million reasons to go out and watch this movie. And before you do so, because I want you to be a part of the conversation, know this, spoiler warning, I'm going to be going super deep, breaking down the social commentary. More importantly, I'm going to be talking about the composition of elements of this movie that work and all the ones that don't. So not spoil your experience. Stop and pause right now. Go out, buy a ticket, watch the movie. Do it for the culture. Come on back to your boy. But while you're watching the movie, let people know who told you to do so. Tell them Kobe told me. And you can go ahead and follow me on all my socials at Kobe told me on Twitter and Instagram at Kobe Mac on Facebook. And get over to the red site and get into some of my additional content at KobeToldMe.com. For those ready to go ahead and dive right in, I'm ready to hope you are. So stay tuned. I'll see you on the other side. Enjoy and listen. took me almost six months to watch Get Out. I know, I know, stupid me. It was phenomenal. Like, everything I could have asked for from that type of film, and I will say, like, when I, when I, when I think of Get Out, it's not classic horror. It's more psychological suspense thriller. But I don't want to get on a tangent this early. I was late to the party. And I was also, I was late to the party on the Key and Peele show. I swear, I love black content creators. I promise I do. I just, I don't think I had cable at the time. And Comedy Central notoriously never puts their stuff on other platforms. So I was determined this time around. I wasn't going to let that happen again, all right? So I, I, I was ready. I was in my comfy reserve seat here in Atlanta, Georgia, Thursday night, eagerly anticipating something special. Now, in context, leading up to that night, I heard, I read the responses to like the South by Southwest screenings and all the reactions and I got a lot of, I'm processing, my jaws on the floor, I, I can't put thoughts into my words, I'm like, yo, my nigga, <laughs> all right, Us is my most anticipated film of 2019 and all I wanted was a simple response, is it good or is it bad? Doesn't seem too hard. Now, the trailer that we got that dropped on Christmas Day was like, Literally the best of the year for 2018, and it was perfect, perfect. It, it looked perfect. It sounded perfect. So how heavy could this movie be that these people just couldn't give me a straight answer? Heavy's an understatement. So Adelaide Wilson, Lupita Nyong'o, her husband Gabe, Winston Duke, and their two kids, Zora, that's uh, Shahadi Wright Joseph, and Jason, Evan Alex, they make a trip back to their per to what I believe is like their um, presumed summer home, which just happens to be the childhood home where Adelaide grew up in Santa Cruz, California. Adelaide is troubled by a traumatic event that she endured when she was a kid where now there's these creepy events and coincidences that kind of signal to her that this trip is gonna be very different than how it was last year. Little does she know a family outside the driveway one night while on the trip it's going to change their entire lives as they invade the Wilson's home, reveal themselves to be themselves. I, I, I mean, us, no, them. All right, so it gets a little confusing. <laughs> They're doppelgangers, all right? And you probably know that from the trailer. Now, this was easy to get, and it's what we were marketed in the trailers. Now, at this point in the movie, 
or excuse me, at this point along like along the journey when we first saw the trailer, we had three months to just ratchet up our expectations up to the maximum. Now, is that fair? I mean, that's not the most important question in my opinion. Fair is a place where they judge pigs. I said before that I didn't have nor want the luxury of not seeing the trailer to set up my expectations. I want to be fully part of the conversation, even more now that the movie's been like out and it's nationwide for everybody to be able to consume. I want to talk about it. However, I fear the gravity of this film will have more audience projecting their own personal sentiments towards the social commentary of the film and less focus on the actual compositional elements in the narrative. So I'm gonna do my best to try to really balance and like straddle that line appropriately. I really wanna focus initially on the technical merits and of course the plot. So now it is difficult to not let the themes kind of seep through. And this film is like, it's, it's, it's runneth over with symbolism. Like so much so you can spend hours just trying to dissect all the, the hidden meanings in, in every frame, right? And additionally, the movie also has the battle that Jordan Peele's last film was Oscar winning with Get Out. I mean, it like made a bunch of money, it superseded its budget, and that is a lot of measure to kind of come up to the plate with. So would this be a hit too? Like, could this be a sophomore slump? But I mean, we've seen Jordan Peele and he's got a unique eye. So we know that Peele, he's carving out like a unique space for himself in the horror genre. I've actually, I've had, I've heard people kind of express it on Twitter circles like social horror. I'm not totally in love with that as I feel most creators will commentate on society in some way expressed in their given medium. Regarding Get Out, the social commentary is much more straightforward, easily digestible. And us, not so much. Like, there's a dozen or so things in this movie that Jordan Peele is trying to say about us in us. There's going to be a lot of that. Um, I like to try to exercise and not remove the thematic elements expressed in this film, but kind of shift them to the background just to kind of align my critical focus. Us is ambitious. Us is challenging. But is it good? You know, that question I was begging for before watching the movie. Now, I've seen the movie twice. It is good. My initial watch was complex. See, so I was burdened with trying to resolve the social themes expressed while attempting to break down everything else. I, I didn't want to fall into the trap and lose sight of what I watched, so I walked away not. I walked away without my socks being knocked off, right? Now, the plot isn't simple, but it's not overly complicated either. It's Peel's execution that's the most challenging part. I mean, it's you think about it, there's a family that's being terrorized by another family, and I'm sitting and waiting to understand why and how come. In the first two acts of the film, we get some of the, like, it's, it's really done. Like, I love the pacing in the first two acts of the movie, and there's Jordan Peele's distinct style. Like, it's really on display more compared to Get Out, and it, it's refreshing. Like, he builds suspense in a very organic way. Like, it also helps when you have, like, a really strong cast of actors and a lot of them are given A-plus performances. And it should be known that this film is one of, if not the first to depict a central black family as the presumed protagonist. And I say presumed because I'll get to that later. So, Jordan Peele, in a lot of ways in this movie, breaks a lot of the conventions of the horror drama and many of its tropes, while at the same time, he could have rested on sticking with a few of those, to be honest with you, following some of the classic movie rules. And one 
at the beginning of the film, the first thing you see on screen is in white text set to a black, um, set behind the black screen is underneath America, there's these network of tunnels. He's already informing us from the start that, okay, I'm telling you about these tunnels. So now what we're expecting as an audience that this is going to play a big role at some point in the rest of the film. He's already telling us what to expect. Now, foreshadowing, when it's done delicately and it's not forced, can really work and it's really satisfying. This now is like, think of like a magic trick, all right? He's telling me to look at this car. Now, that can work if it's done right, but if it doesn't, it's really glaring. And I mean, to be honest with you, there's there's so many images and imagery. I mean, right after you get the text on the screen, you've got, you know, this commercial of Hands Across America. Now, I'm a child of the 80s. I was actually born in 1986, so it was really unique. Now, granted, I was an infant. I had no idea about, you know, the commercial campaign and what we're seeing on screen at this point in time. But Hands Across America was something that I've heard before, and I'm pretty sure that my parents had a shirt. So when I saw that on the screen, like, I got a call, but I was like, wow. This looks really, really familiar. Then after you after you watch the movie, you start digging a little bit deeper into what Hands Across America means and what the project was and how did it fail and what was it trying to do and you'll go down the rabbit hole. You know what I'm saying? And um, so I'm going to pull myself back up to the rabbit hole, right? The unique thing that's done is that Jordan Peele will take you down the rabbit hole and pull you back up. He plays with pacing in the first half of the film and it works really well and also it provides a lot of the suspense too in my opinion i thought it was done and it was done with a lot of restraint there's an opportunity and i've heard this kind of talked about where jordan peele oh i didn't get scared at us well horror doesn't necessarily mean to scare you it means to horror or terrify you and for some people it does not elicit a scream or a belt but just something that can kind of shake you and shock you and put you in awe. And there was an opportunity to give you the cheap jump scare. He doesn't do that deliberately. And I thought that that was very smart and crafty. He doesn't need to. The horror that I see is elevated from the text and the Peter Nyong'o's performance. Like, it makes everything come together. So, obviously, Lupita plays Adelaide. Adelaide is feeling the weight of this ominous threat. So, the moment she gets on the screen, she telegraphs it really slightly everything that she's experiencing and i caught it more on the second watch and i'll be completely honest because you're paying attention so much to the social themes and you can get bogged down and focusing on just the narrative she does things so uniquely and it's not overhanded lapita gives like an oscar caliber performance in the vein of what tony collette did in hereditary she's reserved yet fierce she's subtle yet she's striking there's duality in her character but it's also matched by the duality in the role that she plays as her counterpart her name is red right so red is the shadow to adelaide they're they're tethered together and it's funny because inside of the commercial back in 1986 hands across america was talking about being a tether together being this link of coming together now i will say that it takes a little while to get to the point in the film where the catalyst happens which is the home invasion that kind of starts it all but I find that rather enjoyable. I feel like that we got time to be able to invest in developing these characters, knowing who are our protagonists that we think, and also getting to understand what's everybody's clear goals. Lupita Nyong'o, while coming back to this place that's given her trauma, is putting on a brave face. She's wearing a mask for family. She wants her family to have a good time, but also being cautious that something could be looming around the corner. Gabe... He wants to have a good time, but also he's in constant competition with 
this idea of success that he compares himself to to um, sorry but I guess I call it the white family Elizabeth Moss family uh, inside of the movie it's like this this narrative of keeping up with the Joneses you know who's got a better car who's got a better you know summer house who's got a better uh, um, a boat things of that nature there's there's such a, a unique tone in the pacing of this film that it really worked for me and it's the right amount of thriller the right amount of suspense and there's these appropriate dollars of comedy and the comedy let me tell you it works and it fully is dispensed by Gabe which was smart now in all honesty there was something about Winston Duke that just didn't do it for me up until this role I really can't put my, 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 my like I can't put my finger on it but here he was great like Gabe is the ultimate dad joke personified like there's a great juxtaposition juxtaposition between Gabe's physical stature I mean Winston Duke is a large man right and he's palpitating with dweebiness like he's a dork right and it's so great seeing that and, and Jordan Peele does that deliberate you could tell and I've also you know read some interviews with Winston uh, you know Duke has given that kind of breaking the convention of what America thinks of not only a strong like uh, black masculinity but just masculinity in general right so Jordan Peele chose to write Gabe's comedy to be singular and it's 95% of the time that it's just him and it cuts through a lot of the, the high tension moments in the seams and I think it's timely and appropriate now if the comedy was equally distributed by the family this film could veer campy really quick and the beautiful thing about this is that underneath all of it Michael Ebel shout out he's got one of the most compelling scores that I've seen in a horror movie in a really long time excuse me that I've heard in a horror movie in a really long time it's the score is a character unto itself it's it's orchestral it's operatic it's symphonic and there's these notes that are married with these tribal tones and drums and it intensifies the scenes when it needs to and it provides levity in others the sound mix in between what's happening and the narrative for the audience is blended beautifully and it's done like really well where like you blend you know the music that we see set to the movie but it also matches up to like i guess you know whatever the movie version of alexa is inside of this in one of the houses right music is what's driving and informing our expectations throughout and basically the whole movie but it does it royally well when you get the classic i've got five on a track and the thing is you see it in the trailer you hear it that's what hooked you you don't get it to like the very end it's patiently waiting to the climax to build and deliver one of the most memorable horror movie finishes i can remember in a really, really long time so now i've spoken very glowingly about the movie and i still feel the way i enjoy this movie and even after my second viewing it helped me gain a better respect and appreciation for for jordan peele's direction for his ambition now it can't be left unsaid though that while i love so many moments in this film his precision and execution when it when it comes to the script left much to be desired. So I'm an avid horror movie watcher. I can delight in the way that Peel breaks convention. He's doing something different. It's refreshing. But when it's not done well, it really sticks out. So there's a lot of symbolism in the text. And I feel that there was a lack of focus on the narrative. There's a risk he took in setting up the rules of this movie monster. Like one of my favorite horror movies of all time is Nightmare on Elm Street. And when you design a character like Freddy Krueger, there's a supernatural element to him that allows you to... Okay, these are the rules that are set forth by Wes Craven. 
All right, so I'm going to go ahead and abide by these rules. And I'm sure like just like any screenwriter, you have a Bible that keeps you on track on how your world works. To a certain point, we can suspend disbelief, but it's got to be earned. So the choice to make the doppelgangers in this movie a matter of science instead of the supernatural, it doesn't work. We're asked to suspend so much logic in this film, it's not earned. So there's dumps of exposition in two of the most prominent scenes that without them in the movie, this completely falls apart and it opens itself up to a ton of plot holes. I mean, you know, you're going to read the articles on it. And if I can kind of break on a little bit, and I've heard this a lot, you know, shout out to, uh, to two movies, uh, you know, two two movies views removes yeah yeah. I, mean, I can't even shout your podcast out. You gotta forgive me. Two views movies, <laughs> forgive me, man. But like, it's always reassuring when you're a fan of a podcast and you formulate your own thoughts and you hear somebody kind of match those same respects. It feels very satisfied. And with the world that Jordan Peele set up, the plot gets lost in the shuffle of the themes and it feels unsatisfied so now this could also be a matter of taste because i recognize there's a big contingent of people who watch this movie and they i've heard some guys say that us is one of the greatest horror films of all time and it's somebody who i actually respect now i wholeheartedly disagree with that so let's not make the mistake for flair and ambition for greatness to be something that's innovative and have no faults too i mean you can have all that and it can still not be good but the doppelgangers are a great way to symbolize the many things that are stated in the film. They're the mar- marginalized. They're the less fortunate. They're the oppressed. They're the cast out. But we're still left with questions, right? If you want to go the science route, how did they come to be? Was it a machine? Was it cloning? When did this project from those above that were responsible for doing this start? When was the project abandoned? Where did they go? How did the tethered or the doppelgangers survive underground, unfound for decades? Where did they get these red jumpsuits and sandals? Why gold shears? I mean, if you think about it, I see where Jordan Peele used this doppelganger situation and also kind of connected and correlated to Hands Across America. It was a campaign with a goal to be able to unite peoples of different you know, ethnic backgrounds to be able to raise money for $100 million and it failed. They only put together 15 million dollars and it's like well what happens when this project that you spent all this time on goes away you just abandon it how does an impact like that affect other people i mean the doppelgangers are, are a group of of individuals that are just existing without no direction now i could go on and on in regards to the questions because the plot holes just don't work and it's hard to see past it but the thing is that you're focused on the themes of the movie that you do see past it so you can end up thinking about something else when really you should be focused on things compositionally. So this may seem like small, unimportant details, but they're not. The writing and direction hold the most weight critically in any film, in my opinion. So while I celebrate the direction, because of the weaknesses of the script, Peel's vision becomes muddled and it feels incoherent. And the thing is that I know that he's capable of delivering something that's way more superior. Like, it almost feels like it's an oversight. So that's why I believe the commentary clouded the plot. There was more care in the subtext than the context. So when that happens, you sacrifice the most poignant part of the movie. I mean, 
There's this exposition at the catalyst of the film after the home invasion when Red sits down the family in front of her. And in my opinion, the way that I took it the first time around, I felt, wow, this feels awkward. It feels on the nose. It feels forced. I feel uncomfortable. This does not feel like it's supposed to be telegraphed this way. And in my second viewing, I had to put myself in kind of looking through a different lens that Red, and I'll get to the twist in a moment, She's waited years in setting up this moment, this this revenge to be able to say the things that she's been wanting to say and she can't, she can barely get it out. Her vocal cords are damaged and we'll talk about that in a little bit too. And I thought it was great the second time around. Now, could that be me projecting? Possibly, but I understood that Red was broken. I mean, in the beginning of the film, we see Adelaide and Red meet and we're led to believe that it's their first time connecting and that the doppelgangers are puppets without even realizing that the people above on the surface are informing everything that they do. It's a horrible existence. So she's kind of retelling this horrible once upon a time story, the difference between her being the shadow and the, the princess. And I thought that the imagery there, the imagery was really, really strong. But because of the plot holes, it doesn't hold weight. So think of like drinking a cup of water and it's got 50 holes inside of it. The water is the greatest tasting water. There's some amazing things that are done there. But it's all falling out throughout the cup. And as we continue throughout the night, the next day that we follow the Ritz Wilson's narrowly escaped, not only the doppelgangers, but their neighbors. And the scale of this world grows, right? Keeping it small, if you're going to go the scientific route, could have helped kind of massage some of the the disbelief that we're asking to be uh, suspending. But then we realize that it's not just the Wilson's doppelganger family. It's not just Elizabeth Moss's doppelganger family. This is not only a town or citywide issue. This is a national issue because we were told that there's these tunnels stretched out all across the country. And we're seeing these news reports of these vicious attackers in red with shears killing everybody. So Adelaide is chasing red down to the very place that the two of them encountered one another when she was a child. There's intercutting of images from the past with our progression in the present setting up the ultimate showdown between red and Adelaide. And Adelaide in this awesome dance fight scene kills red before a moment we see a reversion of Adelaide's character so there's there's something primal there's something guttural she wraps her handcuffed arms around Red's neck and squeezes the life out of her and it warps her into this kind of tethered like mania there's like this click and this that's inside of Adelaide's visage where it seems like she's transforming herself as she's killing it and at one point you think like man this woman has been through so much she's been near death and she never thought that she would have to be this way and she's just expelling out so much energy but really you start seeing a shade of who she really is deep down inside it's the first real glimpse into a nature that we've never seen in Adelaide so a few moments later after she kills Red she takes her son Jason up from the tunnels back into the city and the whole family tries to leave from Santa Cruz we 
get additional intercutting of images finishing the scene of what we got earlier, that first encounter between Adelaide and Red when they were little kids, we see that Adelaide was the tethered little girl all along. She switched places to become, I guess, the new Adelaide and Red. Red was... God, I'm getting confused. So Red was left in a world where she never knew. She was stunted. So Red came from a place where she was from above but came down below and the Adelaide that we've seen this entire movie started her life being a tethered, being a shadow in a place of unprivilege, rising up to a place of means. It's really unique because at this point in time, there's like this nature versus nurture conversation. I mean... Think about these people who are doomed to a meaningless existence without direction. The text there is powerful. The execution, not so much. It felt forced. It felt unnecessary. The twist didn't feel earned because you can see it coming along. Now, I was not one of the people that, when I saw the trailer, I noticed a little girl gripped her arms out and choked out the other one. I thought that was just something that was kind of imprinted as a dream. So I didn't catch that initially. Kudos, you know, Jordan Peele. I missed that. But then I was able to kind of see that and with the plot holes, what it does is it doesn't reinforce the power of that twist. It wasn't earned. There's The payoff wasn't sweet enough. It didn't carry enough weight. So I'm wrapped up in the hidden meanings that I'm losing sight of Red's goals and the deficiency in her plan. I mean, if we're supposed to believe that, right? Adelaide's goal was to get her son back and keep her family safe, but her behavior towards the entire deal. It doesn't ring true to a woman that's hiding a secret that can unravel her entire core identity. I mean, did she repress this abduction? Why does she go back to this town annually, know, annually knowing what lies beneath? I mean, I'm sorry, if I escaped out of some tunnels, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, and I switched bodies with a little girl or whatever, I'm never going to go back there because I know what was down there to begin with. The rules aren't set clearly. They're not defined clearly and they're completely loose. And when the rules aren't defined, it doesn't hold any support for the narrative. So, I mean, you ask yourself questions. Who controls who? Because if, follow me now, if Red was switched out with Adelaide, the Adelaide that we know is now above, but she used to be the Red that was down below. At some point, the Red that was down below had to be controlled by the Adelaide above. So only because they came up top together did that control stop? How does the puppetry work? Why? As you can see, the more that you really start taking a deep dive on the rules of this world, the harder it gets to build its coherency. So touching a little bit more on the themes, the, the commentary about any one group or groups of people controlling another knowingly or not is strong. It speaks to where we are now in society and the weight our actions have on those around and under us. This movie is about class. It's about dealing with who we are as well, our identity. This that nature versus nurture conversation that Jordan Peele is having. So if we get if we're given the opportunity, can someone who is marginalized rise up and show equal value too? Does that work in reverse, kind of like in trading places? Why do we let fear hold so much power? I mean, ultimately, if you look into the uh, if you look into the Bible verse of Jer Jeremiah eleven eleven, I had no idea that this movie is an apocalyptic movie. I did not get that from the trailer. Therefore, this is what the Lord says: I am about to bring on them disaster that they cannot escape. They will cry out to me, but I will not hear them. 
ultimately, Jordan Peele is bringing this apocalyptic movie to us, <laughs> us, and saying that all these things that we burn ourselves with, classism, racism, um, capitalism, what happens when it comes to the end? What does that do for you? Does my keeping up with the Joneses, does it then affect me when there's a zombie apocalypse? Not at all. So think about all of the presumed protagonists that we've looked at throughout this movie. Their class did nothing for them. And what happens when the less marginalized decide to rise up and take back what was theirs? Now, there's probably hundreds of more questions to ask. And my favorite compositionally, in all honesty, like when I kind of really take a look into this movie is who are we rooting for? You would think that we're supposed to be rooting for the Wilsons to hopefully fend off and fight their way out of this terror from the doppelgangers. But to be honest with you, the doppelgangers, they're as innocent as the Wilsons. They're fighting for something. They're fighting for direction. So the tether, they're existing without that direction, without the opportunity for upward mobility. Imagine how many people in America right now feel the same way. How fair is it to them? How ignorant are we to live in real life pretending that we are that we are where we are on the backs of those that we don't know even though that got us there, right? Like, there's so much to sink your teeth into into this movie. That's why it's great to me. Now, there's a better way to tighten the script and that would have also made it that much greater to truly earn GOAT status. So although this film is stylized and suspense and it's filled with horror, it's anchored by solid performances and an amazing score, Jordan Peele lacks a narrative focus with the script. It's begging for supernatural ambiguity to help us suspend disbelief. He's more focused on the commentary and so are we. And our natural disposition to project our own feelings toward them has us in our seats enjoying this fresh entry into the genre but feeling unsatisfied in the end. So while not a great movie, certainly not a bad one either. Kobe Tomi rating is a 7 out of 10. Writer and director is Jordan Peele, starring Lupita Nyong'o, Winston Duke, Shahadi Wright, Joseph, Evan, Alex, and Elizabeth Moss. Runtime is 116 minutes, and this movie is rated R. Well, <laughs> yo, that's it. Um, I could honestly spend probably a couple of hours just further, like, diving in to us. And I think, to be honest with you, I, I'm going to watch this movie again. And it's going to be intriguing to see what did I miss? Because everything that Jordan Peele does is for, on purpose. That's funny. He said in an interview, everything I do is on purpose. So there's something in everything. And if it's something you didn't like, then I did that by accident. It's a unique way to kind of cover your ass. I got to be honest with you. As a storyteller, I would automatically cling on to that. But I mean, even in my second viewing, I missed all the horror nods inside this film. Like, you know, some people talk about MAGA and the red jumpsuits. Think of the jumpsuits as paying homage to Halloween and Michael Myers. Imagine if it wasn't red, but it was blue. That's that similar jumpsuit that he classically wears. And speaking of another horror nod, obviously you've got Thriller, you know, um, 
Adelaide is a young girl, wears a thriller t-shirt, and the way that she controls her family is very similar to the choreography of Michael Jackson. And you also have the glove, which could be a nod to Michael Jackson as well. And then you also have her son's name is Jason. After Jason Voorhees and Camp Crystal Lake. And go, you know, that that's like that's Friday the 13th, right? So there's all these really unique core nods and the shears. Maybe that's a nod over into Freddy Krueger. Like, it's all there, right? And there's the mask that Jason wears often where he looks like the Wolfman. Like, it's it's wild if you really want to keep going down the rabbit hole. And the fact that there's rabbits, right? They're constantly used as test subjects. There's, they're highly fertile. Uh, the thing is, you cannot survive completely on rabbits themselves. Maybe that's a social commentary on to how if you're into these deprived places, the food that's available to them is unhealthy. Yet, it's the only thing that is available to them. They cannot sustain themselves. I can keep going down and down and down. I won't do it. I won't do it. Because we'll be on here for three hours. You ain't gonna listen to that. But I will ask you to Listen to all the other podcasts, the video essays, the YouTube videos, the written reviews. This movie, I truly believe, in the next 10 years is going to go down as one of the most innovative of the horror franchise. And I gave you some very distinct clues as to why, narratively, this movie falls apart. And it's really unfortunate. Now, if you're able to turn off that... You're going to love this movie. That's why I gave this movie a 7. You know? It could have been perfect and it's there. And I cannot wait for Jordan Peele's next outing. I really, really can't. But, man, that just didn't work. And we can talk about plot holes for another hour and a half, too. And if you, and let me tell you something. If you if you got stuff that I may have missed and you want to talk to me about it, please do. Get at your boy at Kobe Told Me on Twitter and Instagram. Follow me there. Follow me on uh, that Facebook at Kobe Mac. I want to be able to talk to all of y'all. I love just spending time with you. I love kind of growing within the space, growing my voice, watching movies for you to be able to break down and talk about it with. I mean, it's dope. I want to get to know y'all. Let's 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 do this more. So please continue to visit my website for more content at kobetomi.com and listen to me hosting with me and the crew on the Minorities Report podcast. You go ahead and check them out on Anchor right now. We just got finished doing an episode this past week, getting the captive state as to why it is the worst Harry Potter film of all time. Please go ahead and listen, like, subscribe, always comment and share. And um, you can follow um, that uh, show as well at mreportpod on Twitter and Instagram. And always remember, when they ask you where you heard it from, tell them Kobe told me. Peace.